Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. It's hard not to stereotype. You see the white people like, like, whoa. Take one of your more uh, rhythmic friends out to lunch. No, it's good. Get down, be you. That's what the message is all about today. Get down, be you. There was uh, a portion that I was reading this week, and it really impacted me. Isn't that something you want to hear from your pastor? Like, oh, I was reading. Yes, thank God somebody was. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 7, but we were gentle among you like nursing mother taking care of her own children. Moms are normally more gentle um, and even definitely present during the nursing moments. Guys aren't always there. So I love the image there that Paul's using. So being affectionately desirous for, of you, we were ready to share not only the good news, the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And here's a leader who's a leader's leader, and he's saying, I care so deeply about the growth of people in the church here that we not only shared to you the good news in message form, but we shared to you our time, our talent, our treasures, our own life, our sweat, and goes, continues, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. They wanted to see people encouraged and charged to walk in the manner that's worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I read that passage, and I wept. I wept because Paul, who leads the way in so many areas, ultimately looking to Jesus, is reminding me that it's worth it to love people. It's worth it to let your life be an example and to constantly pour out in all ways, all the time, all the time. Well, when do we stop? All the time. Night and day, we worked. We loved you. Now, Paul understands rest and rhythm and stopping to retreat with Jesus for sure. But what he got was the mission is so much bigger than just what I want. And I wept like a baby because that calls out identity in me that few settings do in society. Few settings say, hey, keep going for Jesus. Give it all. Like it's worth everything. It doesn't matter if you get paid or acknowledged. Go low. Loving people is worth it. You never lose with that. And I bawled because I needed this living word, not just here, but here. Because when you're out moving, empowering, you constantly want to know that you're full. And how do I get full? The same way you and me get full. It's God's word. It's feasting on it, loving his word, not just tolerating his word. I'm talking to know it in a way that you rephrase things. You come up with slang with it. There was certain code when we'd be in the streets dealing. Oh, that's a quarter. Oh, low key. What are you doing? Oh, Larry's on the phone. We just come up with different ways to describe evil. What would it look like if we came up with 
amazing ways to describe God's glory and his goodness and his word in us. I'm on that Matthew 6 lifestyle. Oh, what's Matthew 6? Oh, that we seek ye the kingdom first and his righteousness and all things will be added unto us. And we fret not, we don't worry. He takes care of the lilies, he takes care of the birds and he'll most assuredly take care of me. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom. That chapter is heroic for our lives. It's become so many of our passwords because we recognize we don't want to make it our kingdom and we want to definitely be uh, following the one who has it all. And that is now a new mantra, a new focus. And then in 2 Timothy chapter three, you have Apostle Paul, a pastor writing to an apprentice pastor. Now, this apprentice pastor is walking out his gifting, has struggled with some insecurity probably of, of his age, but his age isn't that young. It's Timothy, and he's in his 30s, and what people are probably looking at him, okay, who's the new guy in the block? How is he called? We need to hear from the more lofty or established preachers. And so Paul's reminding him, you got something good in you, and you better remember where it came from. So he writes these two letters. Now, the second letter has me on the edge of my seat uh, really intensely because he's, gonna pour, he's using language at the end of it that he's pouring out his life as a drink offering, that he's about to die. So it's bigger than him. He's saying, the future's here. The future's in you. The future's Jesus. And I'm fighting this good fight of faith. And Timothy, keep your life close with this teaching. Know it well. And then here's the people who have been serving me. Here's some who haven't served me, but God always served me so that his gospel will be proclaimed. And he gives Timothy kind of the prescription of how to dominate the game, how to rule with the dream team. And in verse 16, it says, chapter three, all scripture is breathed out by God. I love that. It's just like, God just writes stuff like that and profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Antidote for all of our settings and situation, God's word. Ah, I know, I've got to read my Bible. No, not read it. I'm talking eat it. <laughs> you don't want to read your Bible. You want to eat it. Now, I have made fun of my eating habits and my low willpower several times for the last few years of this church's existence. Now, but that's not totally the full picture because I know late at night, my willpower is lower, so if there's candy in front of me, um, I partake. And um, it's not necessarily the most reflection of my full day, which consists of meal replacement shakes and Tom Brady smoothies and, and some quinoa. And, and so for the majority, I'm doing this thing right, right? But something happens at night because I got these certain moments that I just can't, uh, so I kind of keep it away from me. But one of those moments that's so difficult for me is when I shop at Meyer. <laughs> I walk by the, the deli section, smell the fried chicken, start thinking, oh, I can get, how much is two pieces? And then I there's something about potato wedges. It goes to my childhood. They're not even good, but I always want to get at least four. Don't you? You have something. I know you have something. And you, the, the checkout person is always trained, if they see a piece of candy or, or um, gum, to say, you want me to put this to the side? Potato wedges. I'll put those to the side. Because on the way home, I want to eat them. And so I'm driving home, and in case you've never noticed this about me, I have higher beats per minute than some people. And so my intensity is a little bit more um, than the average person sometimes. Is that fair to say? Yes. You know, it's funny. Yeah, exactly. I like this because now you know where I'm going. Um, 
the point is, a lot of times when people have said that to me, like, oh, you're so intense, they didn't realize I might have been slowing down 75% to hang out with them. So am I intense or are they just not? What's the standard? You got to know yourself. Don't fear being different. Fear being the same. Now, you can always modify, and I'm grateful, and that's why I slow down, because I want to be gentle like Paul is talking here. I've learned through life circumstances. I've learned through marriage now. I definitely, um, with boys, it was more native. You Raising boys, boy, here's what we're going to go do. But my daughter, when she starts crying in a corner and she says, Dad, I just have big emotions. Oh, can we talk about it? Ah, just bawling. No reasoning. It's just, just hold me. And I get it more. I'm starting to understand God more and understand each other more and the body more, and it's so amazing. But to understand me more, you'd have to know when I drive home with potato wedges, I'm going to scarf those bad boys down. And I scarf them down at a rate that sometimes I can't swallow. No, for real. Like, Crystal has seen me eating, and she's like, get him water. Well, here I am in the car with no liquid, and I'm dousing them down, and I can't breathe straight up. So I'm calculating how far do I get to home? It's almost like, you know, when you have to hold, go to the bathroom and you're freaking out. Okay, I'm calculating all that right now. How far can I go? Where am I going to have a story? Am I going to die? And so I decide I'm going to turn back around and I go to the Meyer gas station. So I go right into the, this is South Penn for the record. And uh, so I go right into the Meyer gas station, get something to drink. Ah, hurts and I put it down so bad because I love potato wedges. I love them. I love them. I love them. Here's my point. Where are we going? Why are we talking about potato wedges for three, four minutes? Because God's word is even better. To scarf it down like your favorite food. To love it, to devour it, to want to know it, to understand it. Yeah, but I want somebody to teach me all the time. Look, if somebody told you, we all are motivated, right? We're just motivated for different things. But if someone told you, hey, I'm going to give you 100 grand. I need you to memorize a passage, would you? But what about when you have that passage memorized, it could lead you to places that's worth more than money could ever give. We don't. We need freedom. That's what God's word did for me that day. Reminded me that I was free from the nonsense and the paces of this world, that God's kingdom was worth it. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. All this manual, all the coaching text, everything, all of it is used for equipping, for teaching, reproofing, training, that every man or woman of God, would be made complete. And so I pray this morning we have a potato wedge experience with God. We have a potato wedge experience with God. In 2 Timothy, just a couple chapters earlier, Paul's reminded him, for this reason in verse 6, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Titled this today, Forever Free. We are forever free. Why would Paul have to remind Timothy that we don't ha- that God did not give him a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control? Because fear is present even when power, love, and self-control is exercised. We have this idea, I'm with Jesus, fear should be gone. Fear. Have you heard the acronym false evidence appearing real? Now, that has inspired me. 
false evidence. Fear, this is a joke. Let me get this out of my face. But I liked how Carl Lentz said it too in his book, Own the Moment. What he says is false evidence appearing real is a lie because when you are faced with a situation, fear is very real. If someone's got a gun, they're trying to kill someone. That's a very real moment. Somebody's on drugs, they've overdosed and you're afraid they might die. That's a very real moment. You get a report of cancer and that's a very real fear. Somebody's going to get evicted. That's a very real fear, right? So fear absolutely is real. But how does God deal with it? I think the question we ask ourselves is, what is the prison we are letting Satan build for us to lock us in that fear? These are real fears for sure. And there's public fears and there's even private fears. It's easy to notice the public ones. So if somebody sees a spider and they're afraid of a spider, it's low-key. What is an endless list of fears. Did you know people are only born with two fears, science says? The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And so all other fears are learned. It's a behavior that can be learned. And so what also could be learned is faith to exercise over those fears. I'm not a real fan of heights. But when I see somebody, you know, challenge me and I'm, I'm caught up in the moment and I have a reason for why in the glory of God, I might just travel on a plane to go somewhere. Now, I do always pray. I'm not going anywhere, but I, but I pray and I pray over the plane before I get on it. I do this uncomfortable look. People wondering, they're just, what is he? And I just uncomfortably pause. I'm, I try to look into the cockpit and send good vibes to whoever it is. And I've noticed a trend now. The 22-year-olds are being hired to fly planes. And I'm just looking at them, and I'm, I'm not comfortable with this, but this is, must be what it's to watch. You know, the elder people watch me pastor. They're not always comfortable with it, but that must be the same feeling. But he's going to lead me to the destination. And uh, because we're going somewhere. Paul reminds Timothy this in the first letter. Verse 14 in chapter 4 says, Do not neglect the gift you have you got to fan that flame. You've seen a campfire? You put air to it, it starts to get a little bigger. Put more wood on it, you got to fan the flame, he told us. And he's reminding them of that. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. That's a public fear. All are going to watch you develop? Everyone? Yeah, but keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. I don't want to live up to this standard, but remember the gift that was in you, right? That's what he's doing. He's reminding them of who he is because to run from it would be way more haunting. Persist in this so by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Point I would love to make out of that is this. Don't discount the gift that is in you. It doesn't go on sale. You'll never find God's gifts on the clearance rack. There's no gift that you have that you've been given that God looks at as small and insignificant. Someone came up to me one time and said, well, I'm, I'm just the guy who kind of mows the church lawn. It's kind of me. I'm not, I can't do anything else. I would, I'm not good enough to do anything else. And he said it with kind of this, I'm okay with it, and I'm just the church lawn mower. And I looked, I said, the church lawn mower is a beautiful gift. Oh, no, I'm not special. I've messed up so many times. Interesting because I can't speak and mow at the same time. 
but the mowing creates an environment that's inviting that then maybe that person's not a communicator, but they'll meet somebody on the connection team who is, that'll tell them they're loved, belong, and have purpose, who will come into an environment, hear a song from an amazing worship team with a violinist and drums and keys and Robbie G with his beard looking sweet. Like they'll hear that, and then they'll come and hear a word, hopefully that communicates to their soul in a way they get, and then they'll have an exit experience today with Sunday is in pizza, and so you're getting that from a team from Pittsburgh. So you're telling me that gift's not important? That gift is so important, so important. Maybe you've heard the quote, like, let the street sweeper sweep streets in such a way that we give God glory. <sighs> what would it look like? I think this, he's reminding them, hey, Timothy, you have a special gift. You're going to teach and train the body of Christ to know this word. But I also hope that you would hear today that your gift is never found on a clearance rack. Well, it's only $3.99. I'll take this gift. I've messed up so much. Nah, nah, nah. The gift you have is forever free. Period, period. See, Satan's the master liar of this. He's been doing this since the jump. He hates God, he hates his gifts, he hates how he operates, and he definitely hates his most prized possession who's made in his image, people. And after he was able to deceive Adam and Eve, the first thing they do is they start to go high. They go in fear, they're worried, they're down, and God finds them, and verse uh, 10 in chapter three, he said, uh, this is Adam responding, I, or um, yeah, Adam responded, I've heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The one who, who gave him life, who's going to give him most fulfillment, now that his eyes are open to the pain and the torture, it's like, oh, I'm going to go run and be hide and afraid. I think this is us so many times. We go privately deal with our own fears, and we're literally naked, exposed, and the only one that can help us is God. If you find an area in your life today, and I say this to you because I make it personal, but it's also me. If you find an area in your life today that you have never told somebody about or you would never tell somebody about, then for sure Satan has built you in a prison in that little particular setting. For real. He would love for you to never find freedom. I can't tell anybody. I don't know if I could. No, no, no. Don't believe the lie. You could be set free. God gives freedom. It's how he operates. And how he does this to counteract fear is his, his ingredients is love and faith. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It, why would fear need to be casted out if it was not supposed to be present in this Jesus walk thing? Fear gets casted out because it sometimes will even be more present in this Jesus walk thing. But now we have a powerful reminder through God's word. But if you don't know that, you won't have anything to stand on in those settings, right? We won't have the victory in those moments. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Punishment, what type of love when you think of God? You know, when you get down to talk to a kid, I've changed my parenting techniques over the years now. Um, I was never a prolific spanker by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I'm not against a good whooping every once in a while. <laughs> I'm not using a switch or anything, but just, just like, a, hey, get in the, but, um, um, but over time, I tried to change these uh, courses as new books and new material have come out. Um, um, can't remember the book right now. It's a great book, but I'll remember it by the end of the sermon, maybe. But uh, there's this book, uh, Parenting on Purpose. There you go. And Parenting on Purpose talks about choices. And you sit down, you get on the kid's level, and you say, oh, that probably wasn't a good choice. Let's make good choices. And what we could do is you could either go in timeout and sit for a little while, or you could clean up your mess and get to stay and 
hang out with the family. And that's kind of a foreign idea. You might hear that and think, I could never get to that level. I'm just trying to backhand him and it's fine if he comes, right? And that's okay. That's okay. I mean, you do you, but, but um, um, and I experienced this on a field trip the other day, okay? Because fear and punishment, they're, they're, they're very familiar. They're friends. And if you think God is just the punishing God, you'll always be afraid of him and you'll never take your fears to him. You'll never think he's bigger than your fears that you could actually operate in faith and love to overcome and to be confident in every setting. So I was on a public school um, field trip the other day and uh, not to knock the public school technique, but this was just one observation. I noticed the technique sounded a little bit like this. It was like, get in line, boy. I told you not to listen. And I went on the same day to my daughter's in preschool at a Christian school. Um, And then she'll be going to the public school next year. But in the Christian school had a different technique. Timmy, make good choices. When we throw the rocks at people, we won't be able to listen to the great message. Timmy. And I was like, oh my God, that's so different, so different, so different, so different. Now, you know, it's easy to probably see the Christians say anything, oh, it's kind of cheesy, that's not how the real world works. But I think it's actually a beautiful display of steps trying to, to show you how God operates in moments when fear looks like. He's trying to make us make good choices. Think about the good God. Think about the focus and power. Don't think about what's going to happen to you if you get in trouble or let the fear rule. Because when you focus on fear, what does it do? It grows. It's a learned behavior. So you start to learn it. You start to get, boom, it's learned. It's grown. You can overcome your fear this morning. You can. You can have your five-year-old son get you on a zip line for the first time in your life just because you saw someone lead the way. Justice got up on top of this huge thing and he went down a zip line. And I had no desire to go on it until Jerome saw his younger brother go on it and he said, well, I gotta go. So he goes all the way up and he's shaking up there. He wants to come back down. But I know if I let him come back down, he's not conquering his fear in that moment and then his brother's superior to him in that setting. So what do I have to do? I gotta climb up that crazy high ladder and not tell anybody I'm freaking out, like low-key freaking out, freaking out. I'm just like, never want to do this, never, ever want to, I mean, I'm just so mad. I'm like, people are like, oh, this is awesome, he's going to get his son. No, I'm, 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 I'm mad, I'm angry. I'm like, Jerome, I was trying to talk, go, just go, just jump, it's awesome, it's fine, we've all done it, right? No, I've never done it, I never wanted to, you want to do it. So I get all the way up there, he's freaking out, and the ledge is so far, and you look down, and, I, and he kind of, he looks at me, I said, just look at me real quick, and just jump and go, and he goes, he's laughing, but then I had to jump and go. <laughs> And with all honesty, everything in me was just wanting to climb back down because I was more comfortable with where I'd been. I was more comfortable with where I'd been. But when you see somebody lead the way, Jesus, you're willing to go down the zip line for a new adventure. We get so comfortable with where we've been, we pick up a jail mindset. We become prisoner in our own lives for what God has set us free. If you're familiar with the jail mindset, um, and I empathize with it deeply, because people have felt so much pain in this world that once they get incarcerated and they get let out, they just want to go back because at least in jail, I got meals, I got a roof under my head, I got some friends I can hang out with, and I don't have all the pain in line over here. So I can just go back. And so people call it a jail mindset. They're just constantly in an incarceration. But the, the, the freedom they feel that people say is freedom, it doesn't feel like freedom at all. So it's easier to just go back. I wonder how many times Jesus has set us free and we pick up that same mindset. The children of Israel just want to go back to Egypt. They just had clothes and food. Where are you taking us? But it was the attitude that God was trying to get out because he was taking them to a promise. 
when you recognize where God's taken you, he's taken you from a prison mindset to a freedom state where you are free to run and be you in a way that conquers every single setting. Rick Warren says it this way, you'll never overcome your fear of failure until you fully, fully accept the reality that you're not perfect. You've already failed many times and many times in this life. So have I. You're a failure in some areas of your life right now. Doesn't sound super encouraging. Super is though. And you'll fail a lot more in the future. While everyone experiences failures at some point in their life, those who are successful persevere despite their setbacks. When perfection is seen for what it truly is as a mirage, then now you're, you're absolutely, I believe, free to be obedient, to be kingdom um, vocation-minded people and workers all the time in every single setting, whether you're mowing, you're reading, and now you're exercising faith in the midst of fear. Hebrews 11, 1, 2, super popular verse. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. In Romans 10, 17, so faith, because if faith is the thing that pleases God, how do we get it? It comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Amen. The word of Christ dwells in these texts, and as we devour it with potato wedge experience, it just changes us in such a powerful way. The text tells us to fear not over 300 times, but in a setting, in a framework towards you specifically, it tells you to fear not in different phrases over 80 times. Why? Because we probably need to be reminded of it. Yes. We need to be reminded often. Fear looks like all different forms. It could look like somebody uh, sitting at home and they're masking it with rest. And it could look like somebody sitting at home and they're resting because their fear is they never want to face themselves. And so now they're actually exercising a new kingdom in that setting. Fear manifests itself publicly or privately, but in John 8, 36, we remember this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free in Indeed. If you haven't professed your faith in Jesus Christ today, you're definitely in a prison that you'll never be able to get out. But as simply as putting your hope and your trust into Jesus, he takes your life and he gives you a new one, and that's the good news, and you're eternally free. It's that, it's that powerful. You get the great exchange of, uh, based on nothing you could ever do, and he gives you his grace, and that is the gospel. And then, once you're in Christ, you don't want to go back to the old way of life. You don't want that anymore. You need a new mentality. I mean, what do we have to fear? Matthew 10 lays this out, I think, prolifically. Verse 26, it says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in dark, say in light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, who cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's only one to fear. That's God. And when we're in Jesus, there is no fear. That perfect love makes us eternally free. 
So fear does not have the final say. God does. So in Jesus, we'll be confident. Fear doesn't get the final say. Because if we only fear the one that can harm our soul, well, then what can man do to us? What can situations do to us? What can reports do to us? We become almost invincible. I run scenarios through my head sometimes. Uh, Ones like, if you lost this or... um, it used to come from training in sports. You know, you miss this shot and you die. Um, or, but you got to make this one and you're brought back to life. Um, you know, 20 years in prison if you do this. Or you get a million dollars and you, you do these shots and you play these little mind games and you run through the things. Well, in Christ, sometimes I'll do similar. Well, if I lost this and this happened, what, how would I respond? I'd be invincible. I would, I, nothing would scare me anymore. Then I, I'd stretch it further. Well, what's stopping me now? Why wouldn't I go all in now? What am I afraid of? So every time I feel fear, it's a great opportunity to exercise where my security lies. Because insecurity is in the darkness kingdom. Insecurity is the thing Satan operates from. If you find yourself insecure today, please lean in with Jesus. And he's not far, he's close. I want you to see this video, and I hope it ignites the type of confidence we have in Jesus today. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. I've got a promise. Turning back is not an option. There's a calling on my life. And I'm not about to drop it. I got this. For this I was chosen. The final word over me was spoken before I was born. I have a purpose that goes far beyond what I want, what I feel, what I see, and what they say cannot be. With God, all things are possible. And when my desire aligns with the divine, I am unstoppable. In this, I will be confident. Of course the climb is hard. I'm not surprised. The dream is difficult by design to make sure I rely on his might, not mine. His plan, not mine. His hand, not mine. My assignment was conceived in his heart, his mind. And the blessing ahead will always be greater than the battle behind. So this is not the time to compromise or entertain a thousand lies and a million reasons why I can't or it won't or it's not or I'll never. I've heard it before, so shut up, devil. God didn't say he'd make it easy. He said he'd make me better, make me strong and give me grace to carry on. No matter what the opposition, I only need one weapon. I have the faith to overcome. In this, I will be confident. I'm too close to quit, and the stakes are too great for me to hesitate. So whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I keep coming. I show up, take the shot with my hands shaking. The fear is real, but it won't break me. God will not fail me, nor forsake me. I'll keep coming. I'll step to the battle like it's already won. Like I got the enemy on the run. I speak and believe like it's already done. In this, I will be confident. He made me a promise. He gave me a calling. I know that he's able to keep me from falling. I focus my hope. My excuses are gone. The moment to prove the power of God is 
I pray that we will be confident this morning. And if we aren't careful, you could start to think that this is some motivation seminar, but it's really not. It's not confidence in your own ability. It's not confidence in even your own possessions or things that you have. There will never be confidence in ourself that, that does anything of significant, eternal, lasting impact. There's only confidence in Jesus, the King of Kings, who rose from the dead, that was seen by many people, that left us a spirit, that that's why we're alive. Like, I like this now. I can just come and I can touch people with two hands, right? I can just be like, hey, today's your day. You're going to be super confident. you got a new power, a new whole swag. We know what swag means in my kingdom? It means this, save with amazing grace. And so that's what I'm talking about today. We tell um, our daughter that she's a Jesus girl, and that's what makes her amazing. That's what makes her holy. That's what makes her look cute. Now, she has picked up something from Nickelodeon. She picks up this duck face thing. She's doing these things. But we still have to remind her that she's amazing because she's a king's kid. And that's what makes you all special, what you have in you. Now, I'm so sick of watching uh, the enemy um, have us walking around timid, discouraged, defeated, and we're down as if Jesus isn't alive and if he didn't win and we aren't victorious in him. Like, forget this crap. Now, I'm telling you this. There will come massive attacks, of course. There's crazy wars, but you're not fighting them alone. Don't go back to a prison cell that's open that God set you free from. What's the thing Peter did once he denied Jesus? You know what he did? He went back to what was comfortable. I'm going to go back and fish. I love that Jesus did this. He shows up in his little fishing trip. Now, if you fish, that might be great. God might have called you to that. But Peter, he was called to go build the church and be a part of what God was doing. And that's why Thessalonians reminded and rocked me. Because when I have moments and I'm discouraged, I want to go back to what's safe, this little safe zone. Be all comfortable. I want to be here. But God's called me to a faith zone that's incredibly awesome. It's better. It's worth it. And, and, he, and what he does with Peter is he says, oh, look, and then Peter sees him and he just runs and they have that amazing moment. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Not based on Peter's love, but God's love. Today, you don't possess the ability to, to overcome, but God in you does. So let's exercise that. Have you heard of what a president can do with one signature? They call it a pardon. That if there's a prisoner that gets pardoned just by this president signing something, that person gets set out free to live, to roam. Crime gone, no more. We have a king that has a kingdom that's eternally, that he created this thing that he wants us to rule and reign like him create businesses, we operate on the daily, and he signed freedom for us and gave confidence for you with just one signature. So don't, don't even be deceived today. You don't need a co-signer. You have one signature from Jesus Christ that gives you the freedom, gives you the power, and gives you the access because there's only one thing that remains always, and that's the love of Jesus. And so will you worship the fear away today? Will you... Um, kind of like let that big thing in your mind whatever it is and I know it's probably so loud maybe it's a, a health report a friend member that's struggling and it's so loud you're thinking well, God are you there I pray that we would focus in faith on the one thing that remains that is always there Jesus will you stand and worship with us Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.